it started with one, one, and continued with many, with many. Lives reborn, reborn. The fearful made courageous to march against the gates of hell, hell, to trample them, trample them. We are heroes who have been sent. Well, good morning. Good to see you today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from an off-site campus or on the internet. Glad that you're along. Those of you uh, in the uh, venues here at Long Point, too, Chapel and Warehouse, we're glad that you're you're joining us right now. Well, um, I've been away for about ten days, and I thought I'd just update you a little on what what was going on. I got got uh, Jeff and I flew back late. Um, Friday night from India, so I'm a bit jet-lagged, which should make the sermon just really fun, because I have no idea where we're going. You know, we'll just kind of go wherever we go, and, and uh, that'll be fun. Um, we, we did our mission trip, and we went to uh, Europe, into India. We went to Holland. Holland is an interesting place, a beautiful place, uh, the land of tulips, windmills, and wooden shoes. And uh, Christianity, uh, I guess about 3% of the people, as I understand, really are, uh, you know, attend church uh, regularly, Christ followers. It's a Christian nation originally, but um, uh, so we spoke at, we spoke, we we were gone 10 days, uh, we had three days flying, one day to just kind of goof around, and so what, what does that leave? Six. We spoke uh, 16 times in six days. And the average length of the messages, the times that we spoke, were an hour and a half because we were doing interpreters and what have you. Some of them went longer than that. Uh, we spoke uh, in Holland at a seminary, which was uh, a lot of fun, very interesting. Uh, did a, about a three-hour deal there. And, and then um, uh, we spoke for the third largest um, uh, Christian group of pastors in Holland for a couple of days and had a lot of fun with that. That was through an interpreter. And uh, then on the weekend, Jeff flew to Sheffield, England, and spoke with uh, leaders from an Anglican church there. We're helping some Anglican churches in England with multi-site, which we're very excited about that. And uh, I spoke at a church plant. It's about three and a half, four years old. It has about 300 people, which is a very large church for the area in the Amsterdam area on Sunday morning, and then spoke on Sunday night uh, at The Hague. Uh, at a church plant there, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And then we uh, hopped on a plane and went to India, and we spoke for a couple of days to about a 1,000 leaders in India, uh, incredible people. Uh, they would stand and sit, and some of them sit on the floor in a small room, much smaller than this, um, low ceiling, hot, it's warm over there right now, and they would sit for eight, nine, ten hours a day. Uh, to listen to yours truly and Jeff through an interpreter. And can I tell you, we are not that good. In fact, we, <coughs> we, we taught everything we know, you know, in, in that amount of time. But it was great. It was good. We had a, we, we had a good time. And, uh, and then we flew back, like I said, uh, late uh, Thursday uh, afternoon. I, w- I was going to um, bring some pictures, a little video or whatever. Um, I'm still a little messed up with time, so didn't, didn't get a chance to do it. Uh, on my Facebook page, maybe this this week we'll we'll paste some stuff if you're interested in watching. Glad to be home. All right, now so I'm going to conclude the series. Sent. We're going to take a little break for 
uh, about three, four or five weeks uh, from Acts and take it up uh, at the beginning of the year again with, with a new series in the next chapters. Uh, here, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever had something, uh, got excited about a new idea? Or, you know, it might, might have been at work or, you know, in your family or whatever, or, or it could have been something that God was showing you. You got really excited about it, and you were surprised that not everybody was excited as you were. You ever had that experience happen? Oh, man. Yeah, that can be an incredible bummer. I, um, I'll go back a few years. Northern Illinois just started pastoring about a year into it, a little less than a year into it, small church, 70, 80 people. Uh, I'm frustrated, uh, not with the people, I'm frustrated with myself and my own abilities, questioning my own call um, uh, because of my inability to, to, to really, I don't know, handle some things, do some things, lead the church, just all kinds of stuff. And I went to a conference, and at that conference, I had an encounter with God. And I've told you guys about it before. Um, it was an incredible experience. I, it was a filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and I had a vision for the first time I've ever, the first and only time, really, that I've ever had an actual vision from God. I went down to pray, and boy, that's, that's all I knew for about 30 minutes to an hour. And, and um, just energized. And my life, frankly, has not been the same since then. Uh, I mean, I've, I have ups and downs just like everybody else does. But the trajectory of what God has, has done in ministry has it's never been the same and i point back to to that moment and whatever god did in that moment well i was excited to go home to this little church and i've explained to you before it's like when i got on the airplane you know to fly uh, back to illinois uh you know you've got all kind of people that are nervous about flying on an airplane anybody here nervous about flying on an airplane it's okay and i'm looking around and i'm seeing some people obviously nervous and i'm thinking hey you don't need to be nervous this one's on me you know i've got a vision from god i'm getting where i'm going don't sweat it, you know. I mean, nothing to worry about here. You're going to be fine, you know. Call mama, you're going to be okay. And I get back home, and I share with the church what God's doing. And I remember I had an elder meeting uh, two or three weeks after I got back, and uh, two of the elders are just upset. I mean, they... they um, it was not pretty, and it totally took me by surprise because one of them was the guy that actually paid for me to go. I mean, I didn't have any money. Church didn't have any money, and he's a farmer, and he said, let me, let me, let me pay for it. I want you to go. And, uh, boy, it, it was just it was a bad scene. It, it got, we, we called it an, uh, like an intermediary to come in after a little while and didn't do anything. And, and actually, it's the only time in my life I've ever been a part of what even the... Well, at least while I was pastoring, the semblance of a church split. When a church is small enough, you know, four people go and it's a church split. But anyway, it, you know, it was those two families, maybe one other family, actually left the church. And it was a lot of rancor and bitterness and stuff. And, and I, 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 I'm happy to report that in the, in the time between, uh, we've all reconciled. And, and uh, you know, I consider those people my friends. They never came back to the church necessarily, but I think that over time we, we resolved, at least relationally, in a, in a God-honoring way. But um, I wished I would have known what I'm going to teach you today. Because I, I feel like had I known these principles, that that whole thing could have been handled differently and could have gone a different direction. In, um, 
Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. What I'm going to do, I'm going to teach from Acts chapter 11, but I've got to go back and pick up Acts chapter 10 because they're tied together. There's a story in Acts 10 that's repeated in Acts 11, and the outcome actually happens in Acts 11. And Peter experiences exactly kind of that same thing, where something good happens that's exciting to him, but there's some real uh, crazy feedback that happens. And so what I want to talk to you about is is how a, a Christ follower handles those type of situations, how you lead through change, and uh, and how you respond to your critics. So let me tell you the story. I know Sean taught last week. I don't want to reteach his message, but I know some of you weren't here, so I'll just tell the story from Acts 10, and then we'll pick up the, the narrative from Acts 11. There's a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile, which means he's anything outside of the Jewish faith. Uh, he happens to be a, um, a military guy. He's a Roman centurion, so he leads lots of people. He's, 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 a, he's a leader, and he's obviously a good leader as you follow as you follow the story. And he is what is called a, a, a seeker. He's a God kind of follower, but he's not on the inside. He's a, he, he's a God seeker. You need to understand that in the, uh, the context of the time, that God's work was within the Jewish people. And he's, he's not a Jew, and he, he can never be a Jew. And yet he, he believes in God, but he's kind of on the outside looking in. So, so, so he's a spiritual seeker. He's a good guy. I was riding an airplane not too long ago, and uh, it was one of those deals where I was tired, and so I wanted to sleep. And full plane, a lady sitting next to me. And so I pretended like I was asleep because uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody. And uh, pretty soon that kind of wore off, and she wanted to talk. And so we talked. And it was a great conversation. It was, really was a great conversation. You, you can miss a lot of things by kind of plugging yourself into your own deal. And uh, it was one of those divine appointments. And she, she was what Cornelius was. She was a spiritual seeker on the outside, looking at didn't attend church, believed in God, didn't quite know who or what God was, but... There's, there's something there. And she was a good person. I mean, she, her heart was in the right place. She cared, about, um, she cared about what God cared about. In fact, it was kind of confusing to her that she cared about the poor and very involved in some, you know, some uh, uh, social justice issues. And she wondered you know, why, why a lot of Christians weren't, why a lot of churches weren't, and some of that kind of stuff. So we had a great conversation. Good lady. And she was reading a spiritual book wanted me to kind of comment on that. And so we had a great conversation, and I actually invited her to church. She, she may be here now. I, I, I don't know. Similar to Cornelius. Cornelius is a good guy. Heart's right. He, he, uh, um, he's, he's generous to the poor. Uh, in fact, he's, he's praying right now in this, in this passage. And as he's praying, he gets a vision. He has a vision, not, not unlike what happened to me those, those many years ago. And in that vision... Uh, God says to him through, you know, somebody, um, he says, You've, your actions have come before the Lord. Uh, God sees that you're generous to the poor and your, your prayers uh, are, are being heard. And he said, um, there is a guy, a Jewish guy named Simon, some call him Peter, and he's in a city called Joppa. And what I want you to do is I want you to get some of your guys together and I want you to go over to a certain house. He's going to be there. And I want you to bring him back to your house because God has good news for you and he wants to give it through him. Strange, 
But that's the end of the vision. And so he gets kind of his guys together and he tells them what to do. They go to Joppa looking for Peter. Concurrently, at the same time, Peter is doing ministry in Joppa and he is on a rooftop and he's praying and it's about the end of his prayer time and he's hungry and he smells, you know, food coming up. He's maybe a little lentil soup, maybe some, you know, uh, strudels and maybe some uh, matzo balls. You know, he's, 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 he's a kosher Jew. Everybody was at that point who is in the story that we've read up till now. And at about that time, he gets a vision. And the vision is of a sheet or kind of a blanket coming down from heaven. And on the blanket are all kind of animals. And they're animals that he would consider unclean, you know, pigs and, you know, all kinds of things, reptiles and stuff like that. And the voice of God says, uh, Peter, eat. And Peter says, well, you know, I don't do that. I, that's against the law. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And, and he said this happened three times. In fact, honestly, that's the first example that we have of a pig in a blanket is right, right there. Not bad for jet lag, huh? What do you think? And so, and, and, so, and so God did it for a reason to get his attention because he wanted to do something outside of the normal. And then he tells him, God shows him that there's a guy named Cornelius, that whole story. He says, Cornelius is going to send some folks to you and you're going to go with them to his house, um, which, by the way, was a no-no. C- couldn't do that within the law. Uh, go to a Gentile's house and eat with him. But he said, I want you to do that because I've got, I want you to share the good news with him, and I want to save them. And so at about the time the vision's done, knock on the door, guys come, uh, you know, Cornelius's posse are there, and, and they say, uh, you know, is there Simon, Peter? And, and so Peter goes with them to Cornelius's house. And so Peter begins to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? He's preaching that Jesus was God, that he came and he was born, lived a normal life, sinless life, and that he was crucified for our sin. And then he, he died and he rose again, proving that he was God. And there's good news. You can have peace with God. That is the gospel. Well, while he was preaching, a, um, a Pentecostal service broke out at Cornelius' house. Cornelius has all of his friends and family there, so it must be a pretty good-sized house. And they start speaking in tongues and worshiping God. And this is really freaking out the Jewish guys, about six of them that Peter had brought with them. So they're looking at this whole deal, and they're saying to Peter, same thing happened to them that happened to us at Pentecost in what we read as Acts chapter 2. So they have a little discussion among themselves and Peter says, well, if it's the same thing happening to them that happened to us, what's to keep me from baptizing them? Now, baptism is baptizing them into the body of Christ, into the life of the church. And so he says, yeah, I know they're Gentiles, but God's moving in them. Let's baptize them. So he baptizes them, has an incredible time of ministry. Well, the word gets back to headquarters at Jerusalem. Uh, and, and we kind of pick it up there in Acts chapter 11. We've kind of completed 10. In Acts chapter 11, verse 1, and you can see it in your Bible or your outline sheet or your, you know, your, uh, your phone or wherever you have your Bible at. It says this. It says, The apostles and the other believers throughout Judea heard that Gentiles had also received the Word of God. This is exciting news, right? Everybody's going to be excited about this because... The gospel is going from just this, this local group there in Jerusalem. It's going out to everybody now. Not so much 
Not so much. Not everybody is excited about it. And that's where I want us to take a look at how, how Peter responds when criticism comes his way. And uh, I want you to personalize this. I, I hope you see yourself in this, in this passage in some way, and then we'll kind of respond to that at the end. It, here's the principles that I wished I would have known so many years ago when uh, division and crisis came among the group of believers that, that I was leading. Number one, here it is. Not everyone will be excited about your good news. Have you ever experienced that? Not everyone will be excited about your good news. Take a look at the Scripture. It says, When Peter went to Jerusalem, those who were in favor of circumcising Gentiles criticized him. Just a thought. Nothing will stop a revival like requiring adult male circumcision. I mean, I mean it's just a, it's a thought. So, <laughs> those who were in favor of that, who were in the church, were critical of what Peter is reporting. I thought about criticism a little bit. What, what attracts criticism? In my experience, new things. Anything new will attract a degree of criticism. If you have a new idea, you introduce something new, at work, in your family, in the church, this is new. There will be people who are excited about it, but that, that will attract a certain degree of criticism. Do you, any testimonies there? A second thing that attracts criticism, which is kind of along the same lines, is change. Change. If you try to change something, or if you announce change, that will attract criticism. Um, studies tell us that about 65% of the people who are in here today don't like change, okay? Not excited about change. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd probably do a survey and, and we'd probably figure out that, that, that that's about right. And so if you announce a change, uh, people are, are going to be critical. Um, I ran across a, a bell curve um, that's called the innovation curve. And it, this is like any, any other. If you, you, you were to see a picture of a bell curve, you've seen those. It's kind of graphed like this, and it looks like a bell. It goes up like this and down the other end. And uh, at the front of it, about 5% of the people that are represented on this curve, they, they really like change. They, they really are excited about it. In fact, they initiate change. They're called the pioneers. They're the ones that come up with the ideas, and they're always thinking out in the future, and they're really, really jazzed about change. You can recognize the pioneers because they're the ones with the arrows in their back. Okay, that's generally how you, you recognize a pioneer, and and then uh, the next five percent are called early adopters. Okay, early adopters are those that maybe they don't create the change, but they're excited about it. And that's those of you who you know stood in line for the first iPhone, and then you stood in line for the next iPhone that came out, or maybe you got the the Kindle, you know, or whatever techie thing, and you're excited about that, and you love change. And I'm probably right there in that group. That's the early. Adopters, and and then you that's kind of the first those two groups are the first ten percent, and then you get the next group that goes right to the top of the curve, and those are the early majority. Okay, these people aren't necessarily excited about change, but they'll accept change, and and when they see something, you know, the the train's coming on the track, they'll jump on board. Okay, then from the top down to the close to the bottom of the curve are the late adopters, And, and these are the people they will complain about change. They'll say they don't want it, but you know what? When the you know 
<laughs> after it's totally popular and there's something else going on, they'll adapt or adopt whatever there happens to be. And then you've got the last, like, 5 or 10%. And, and this group are kind of the laggards. They, they don't want anything to do with change. They still have rotary telephones in their house because, you know, that's kind of where it is. What, what's a cell phone, you know, kind of a deal. And, and um, they're usually very vocal about the fact that they don't want change, don't like change, and they're very anti, and they, they cause a lot of stuff to go on. You need to know that. You just need to know that if you're, if you're going to involve, be involved in change. I, it was interesting. I was in, in Holland, and one of the pastors that I was talking to there visionary, exciting guy, good things going on. But there's a lot, of, a lot of turmoil in the church. And one of the reasons there's a lot of turmoil in the church is, you know, about every three or four months he introduces a new idea and, you know, that's naturally going to have problems. And then a lot of times he gets up and says, we're going to change something. I said, you can't do that. He said, why? Because you're just, right then you're just announcing that 65% of the people that you're going to do something that they don't like. I said, at Seacoast, we've been there 21 years. We have never changed anything. <laughs> and we have it. We make adjustments. <laughs> People aren't so opposed to adjustments. And I talk to our staff about that all the time. I said, don't get up and announce change. That's just, you know, if you want the arrows, that's what you're going to do. Just tweak things. Just adjust things. And everybody will kind of come along with that kind of a deal. And so you need to understand that change attracts uh, criticism. And uh, growth attracts criticism. Um, you know, you get something that's growing. And I know our church has grown over the years and sometimes has attracted a little bit of criticism. But what you need to know, just the principle is this, is that not everybody is going to be excited about your good news. They're just not. There, there are some reasons for that. Um, second principle is this. Be patient with your critics because they haven't seen what you've seen. They haven't seen what you've seen. Look at the next verse. He says that the Gentiles criticized him, or, or not Gentiles, the people who are in favor of circumcising Gentiles criticized him, saying, verse 3, you were a guest in the home of uncircumcised Gentiles and you even ate with them. Okay? That's what they said. They were right. And um, here, here's oftentimes what we'll do is we will vilify those who are opposed to us. You know, I mean, because how do you know that you are the most va- balanced person in the universe? You judge everything by what you feel. If somebody's right or wrong, why are they right or wrong? It's because they agree with you, okay? So they're right, or they don't agree with you, so they are naturally wrong, okay? And then if they're vocal about that, we vilify them. You don't like change and all this kind of stuff. And what you need to understand from here is, um, is, is these people, they, they, that's what they saw. The law is you don't go eat with Gentiles. You don't go do that. We're, we're all Jewish. Yes, we believe in Jesus, but we're all, you know, the common thing that we, we hold is that we, we practice the law. We're Jews and you don't do that. And, and they didn't have any explanation. That's the only context that they had. They had not seen what Peter had seen. Okay? Now, how do you know there are some people who feel like they have the gift of criticism. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know that's not a spiritual gift? Did you know that? Gift of criticism is not a spiritual gift. But there are some people who they'll criticize everything. And, and here's what we do. Here, if we're not careful, we'll respond to criticism in one of two ways. 
Some people take it personally. They internalize it. That might have happened to some of you. Maybe, maybe somebody criticized a new idea or something that was going on or they were critical of you. And you feel crushed and consumed by it. In fact, you're still thinking about it. Might, might have happened last week. Might have happened a month ago, maybe a year ago. And, and it still bugs you. It bothers you. You can't believe, I, I can't believe it was who. I, I can't believe it was them. And you think about it and you can't sleep and you're just crushed by it. Other people, <laughs> they're, man, they shoot the messenger, okay? I'm not going to internalize anything. I'm going to shoot you, you know, and you come with bad news, bang, you're gone. You know, don't let the door hit you on the way out if you don't like my new idea. And both of those are just, they're not healthy. What if Peter would have done that? Then we would have not had what we have here today. Uh, we're Gentiles, okay? So, so, so what he understood, I think, innately, is that, not everybody's going to be excited, and, and they haven't seen what you've seen, which kind of leads me to the third principle, and that's this. If you will tell your story without an attitude, most of your critics will at least listen to you. If you'll tell your story without an attitude, most of your critics will at least listen to you. Verse 4. So Peter gave them a complete account, circle complete account. We're going to read the complete account just because I want you to see it, of what happened from the very beginning. Gave a complete account, and I think it was without attitude. Because when you cop an attitude, get a little attitude, that becomes contagious. Everybody gets an attitude and nobody's listening. You can get a defensive attitude. You ever do that? You have an idea, maybe new, maybe different, maybe something that happened to you. Somebody's critical of it, and you get defensive. What happens there? You know, why, why are you even questioning me? can't believe you're questioning me on this thing. Do you make progress? Mm -mm. Nobody's listening. Or maybe you get kind of a martyr's attitude. I should have known. You never take my side on this stuff. Have you ever had those conversations as a married couple? Or maybe dating or whatever? You, you never take my side on this stuff. You know, and, and so it's the, it's the martyr. I should have known. I should have known. You don't make any progress. Or you kind of take a kind of a superior attitude. Well, you know, I... I've been around a little bit longer than you are. You know, I, I, I know this stuff, or I'm more educated. Or, or, and it doesn't make any progress in anything. If you just tell your story without an attitude, then, and recognize that people, people haven't seen what you've seen, let's, let's give the story and let, let's tell it. And that's kind of what Peter does. Now, I'm going to read the story. I know I've just told the story, but I want you to hear it from Peter's point of view. He says, While I was praying in the city of Joppa, I had a vision. I saw something coming down that looked like large sheet being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it stopped next to me. I looked closely inside and saw how domesticated and wild animals and reptiles and wild birds were on it. And then I, I heard a voice um, uh, say to me, um, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. I said, certainly not, Lord. No richly uncleaned or defiled food has ever entered my mouth. He's a kosher, uh, God-following Jew. The voice spoke again from heaven. Do not consider anything unclean that God has declared clean. By the way, this is, um, this is a real crucial time in the church. This is one of the places, the beginning place, where the church goes from just being a local group to an international group uh, reaching all peoples. And so it's an important time. The voice spoke again from heaven. This happened three times. And finally, the whole thing was drawn back up into heaven. And at that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at my house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to go with them without hesitation. 
Uh, these six fellow believers from Joppa accompanied me to Caesarea. And we all went into the house of Cornelius, and he told us that he had seen an angel standing in his house who said, Send someone from Jop- to Joppa for a man whose full name is Simon Peter, and he will speak words to you by which you and all your family will be saved. And when I began to uh, speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us in the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It is clear that God gave those Gentiles the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I then to try and stop God? And so he just tells the story, just communicates it. Here's the fourth principle. Often, even the worst critics will become cheerleaders when they can see how God is at work. Look at verse 18. When they heard this, they stopped their criticism and praised God, saying, Then God has given the Gentiles also the opportunity to repent and live. They said, it seems like God's at work. I, I think He is. And so they got the pom-poms on, you know, for Peter. And they said, that, that's, a, that's a great thing. And instead of splitting the church or splitting the ministry or splitting the team, they're ready for this new thing in this new season that God is doing. And I think a lot of it is because Peter was wise in how he dealt with criticism and initiated and introduced change into the church. So that's the story. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about response time, and I'm going to talk to you for several minutes before we actually do it. Because I, 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 think, I, think, there's, I think God wants to do something here in, in, in all of us. I asked you at the beginning to kind of watch for who you relate to. First, there are there's several of us here, many of us, who you probably relate more to Cornelius than to anybody else in the story because... You're a, you're a spiritual seeker. Um, and I want to tell you, you're in the right place. Um, maybe, um, you know, your heart heart's right. You, you've got a good heart. You care about things that God cares about. Um, you feel like, you know, there, there is a God. You really can't explain it. You don't know exactly what that means. And you, you might even have been seeking answers in several different places. And um, here's what I know. I know that God, just like He did with Cornelius, is initiating a relationship with you. He wants you not to be on the outside looking in. He wants you to be a part of the action where He is and right in the middle of His kind of redemptive process of, of redeeming the earth. Um, he's initiated uh, and and you may have you may have seen it but didn't recognize it. It it might be, you know, the neighbor or friend or coworker that uh, invited you to church. And why did you come? Maybe you maybe you saw something in them. Maybe you saw, you know, an enthusiasm for something. Maybe you recognized a, a change in their life over time. And they, maybe there's a sense of purpose that maybe wasn't there. I, I don't know what it was, but you know what that was. That, that God place them in your life because he cares about you or maybe it's uh your your you know your neighbor's kids are kind of interacting with your kids and and you've kind of developed a little relationship with the family and they're not perfect but they seem to have a centeredness or a, a, a sense of peace of value in their family that you go you know what i wonder where that comes from i don't know what it is but i do know this that god is initiating a relationship with you. That's why you're here. 
That's why you're here. And I want to challenge you to take the next step. And that's to, you respond to his initiation. It'll look like this. So just maybe five, ten minutes from now, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And the band's going to come up and they're going to play, play some music. And uh, I want you just to kind of sit where you are and, and I want you to reflect on your relationship to God. You're on the outside looking in or on the inside in the center of what God is doing. And I want you to open up a conversation with Him. Maybe it'll sound something like this. You know, God, thanks for pursuing me. Thanks for caring about me. Um, God, I'd like to be in, in the middle of what you're doing. I want you to reflect on what the gospel means. I want you to reflect on the fact that Jesus um, took your rap. Let me tell you what that means. I think we all kind of inherently know that um, that we've done things and that we continue to do things that um, that are are not the best, uh, and it's called sin. And the truth is that none of us are good enough to really connect with a God who's perfect and holy. And the good news is, is that Jesus came and he makes up for our not good enough with his good enough. And he died for us and we can have peace with God because of that. And I want you to reflect on that and just say thank you and acknowledge your own condition before God and say thank you for Jesus. And, and then ask him uh, if, if he will just kind of lead you into the life of the spirit that he wants you to have. And I believe if you'll do that, that you'll experience change as profoundly, maybe not in exactly the same way, but as profoundly as Cornelius does as his questions are answered. Okay? So that's what I want you to do. There are others of you here, many of us here, who are Christ followers, but recently you've been stung by resistance and criticism. Something that you thought was exciting others weren't excited about and it hurts and you've personalized it and you frankly were surprised by where the criticism came from it you never would have dreamed that it came from there and uh and so here's what i want you to do it might might have happened as recently as this week or month ago or maybe it's lingered on for months and uh, some of you have just written your critics off and here's what i want you to do I want you to take it to God. Maybe the physical action during response time is to get up from your seat, go to the cross, write a name on a piece of paper or initials on a piece of paper or just a symbol or something. And say, God, would you help me with this? Ask God to give you a gentle spirit because what, what, what has happened is what was gentle and naive in a sense and good has become hard And if you're not careful, it's going to turn into bitterness. And maybe it already has. And it ruins relationships all around you, innocent relationships. And so I I want to ask you to ask God to give you a gentle spirit. Ask Him to allow others to see what you're seeing, if that's the issue. You know, just pray that. Say, God, help, help me to be able to share the story with wisdom. And maybe you haven't in the past. Or maybe you've never shared a story. Then ask God for patience and And you may need to ask for forgiveness from 
other people or forgiveness from God for your attitude toward other people. Just allow him to guide you to whatever he wants to do. And I believe it will be a powerful moment for you. Some of you are critical of every new idea that comes your way. You're slow to the table at work, at church, in your small group, in your family. You drag your feet and you pride yourself on that. Um, I, I know a, a whole group of, in the Christian community as a whole, like websites and blogs and all this kind of stuff, and they pride themselves of being critical. And, and some of them hide behind this kind of spiritual, religious mask of saying, uh, in Acts 17, uh, there's a group of people called the Bereans, and it says that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, and, and, and because of their kind of searching the Scriptures and criticalness of it. And I know people who criticize ministries. They criticize people all the time because they say, you know what? I'm going to look it up in the Bible. I'm not going to believe anything unless it's in the Bible. I'm a word man. And you, uh, you allow yourself to have a critical spirit. And here's one of the deals on that is that in that particular instance, that's not even what the Scripture says. In Acts 17, verse 11, it says, Now the Bereans were more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness... And then they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So it doesn't say anything about a critical spirit. It says, you know what? When Paul preached, they were excited about it. Wow, this is good news. I cannot believe this. This is awesome. I'm going to go home and study it and make sure that it really is true. That's a whole different spirit than somebody who just resists change. And you don't have to love change. You just have to be open to change. And here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. You may, first of all, be missing what I call an early adopter blessing. Did you know that there was such thing as an early adopter blessing? Well, let's look it up. Um, here's the context of it. Okay, Jesus is crucified. He rises again and he appears to some of his disciples. They're excited about it. They go tell some other disciples and they're excited about it. But one disciple isn't. What's his name? Thomas. And he's called what? I said, what a bummer that you, for all your life you're known as Doubting Thomas. I was, I was just in India, and did you know what happened to Doubting Thomas? He became Believing Thomas and Evangelizing Thomas, and he's the one that evangelized India. He got a boat to India, and, and he evangelized the southern part of India. In fact, he was martyred there. There's a church that you can go to that they claim to have uh, relics of, of his bones and body and what have you. But here's what Jesus did. When Jesus saw Thomas, he, he showed the nail prints in his hand and his side. And then here's what Jesus said to him. In John 20, 29, he says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. That's a good thing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's an early adopter blessing. He says, there are people who haven't seen, but they adopt it. They believe. They have faith. There's a blessing on that. And you're missing that. You're missing that because of your critical, critical spirit. Second thing you're doing is you're wearing out your leaders. They're having to love you by faith. <laughs> your small group leaders shopping your membership to every other small group. Hey, we got a great guy. You want him in your group? Because yeah, you just wear your leader out. You wear the people at work out because of your negative, critical spirit. Own up to it. Okay? It's not cool. It's not cool. God wants you to have a spirit that, like I said, you don't have to love change, but you've got to be open 
to it. Doesn't mean you don't ask questions. Questions are helpful. Questions shape the idea. I love questions. But there's a difference between questions and a questioning spirit. Did you know that? I've talked about this before. You can see that in, um, in the, the story of Jesus' birth. His mother Mary, and an angel comes to his mother and says, you're going you're gonna to be the mother of Jesus and it's going to happen miraculously and you're a virgin. And, and she says, how can this be? She has a question. How many of you would have a question about that? And the angel says, okay, this is how it's going to happen. And he answers her question. Her uncle, Elizabeth, uh, the husband of Elizabeth, Zachariah, Elizabeth is going to have a baby, but her deal is she's too old to have a baby. She's been barren. And an angel comes to Zechariah, her husband, and says, there's going to be a miracle. John the Baptist, there's going to be a miracle. And Zechariah says, how can that be? Well, I'd have had a question too. Evidently, his question was not just a question, but it had an attitude behind it because the angel struck him dumb where he couldn't speak, which Elizabeth thought was probably a good idea. And so she could just talk all the time, you know. And... Uh, and, and evidently there was, a, there was an attitude. So there's a difference between questions and a questioning spirit. So here's what I want you to do. That's you. I want you to be honest about it. I want you to reflect on it. I want you to take it to the cross. I want you to ask God to give you a tender, believing heart and a following spirit. You may need to ask forgiveness of other people. I don't know, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do with you, but I'm believing that there's going to be some profound things that happen during our response time together today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time together. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power of Your Word in our everyday life. Help us to learn today from Peter and his experience with the church when he came back to tell good news. Lord, um, I pray that You would give us just an honesty to sit before You and ask some honest questions and then to respond to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.